Character is something interesting because character is what I want everybody around me to have. Everybody I live with, everybody I work with, everybody I do business with. I want them to have character. But if I'm honest with myself, I, I'm not as I don't care about my character as much as I care about theirs. Character is interesting because character is something that you want everybody around you, the people you work with, the people you live with, the people you do business with to have. But when it comes down to it, you're not necessarily willing sometimes to put the hard work in to have yourself. See, if I'm really honest, your lack of character bothers me a lot more than my lack of character bothers me. And if you're honest with yourself, my lack of character is way more troublesome to you than your lack of character is. Isn't that kind of interesting how that works? Here's another interesting thing about character. Character is interesting because, I want you to think about this. Let's suppose that you decide after today that, that you want to pursue becoming a man or a woman of character. You walk out of here, and that's my goal, as, as we walk out of here today and as we go through this series knockoff, that we become, we want to become men and women of character. Let's, let's say, just for the sake of argument, we all decide to do that today. Where do we even start? Like, where's the class? Where's the book? Where's, like, where, how do we get better at character? And I, I was thinking about it this week. It's kind of ironic. If you want to look good, there are hundreds of people who you can pay to help you do that. You know, honestly, if you want to look better, if you want your clothes to look better, if you want your face and your skin to look better, your teeth, your, your feet, even your feet, if you want your feet to look better, there's people who will do that for you and help you look better that way. Go to the mall, and it's, the mall is just simply about making you look better. There's even whole stores that are devoted to you smelling better there at the mall. But where's the store on developing your character? Isn't that kind of interesting to think about? And, and it, same thing, if you want to develop like a skill, you want to become a better golfer or a better painter or a better skier or a better salesman or manager or leader, there's tons of stuff out there that will help you do that to develop this skill. Our country, we, we have lots of different different people who will help you develop certain skills. There's books out there. I'm sure there's a book out there that says, you know, Parcheesi for Dummies or Bagpipes for Beginners or, you know, so there's, there's that, you know that exists. You can go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon right now and buy that. I even saw, I kid you not, two days ago, a camp for Jedis. <laughs> yeah, somebody just got excited over here. <laughs> like, like, like you, like the, a class... For I saw an ad for a class for, for becoming a Jedi. You can become a better Jedi. Where's the industry for character? And, and here's the thing about character. It's not that character is not important to us. In fact, like your, your lack of character drives me crazy. Like there's, there's definitely should be an industry for character. But where do you find it? Uh, we're obsessed with getting better. We're people who know how to get better, how to train for things, how to, how to you know, be, and boost our health and be healthy. And, like, we know how to do that. Evergreen's really good at that, right? And yet, where's the class? Where's the seminar? Where's the industry for developing our character? Isn't that interesting? Here's the reason why there's no industry 
for developing our character. It's really simple. You and I wouldn't show up. We wouldn't go to the classes. We wouldn't log on. We wouldn't sign up. And so there's no money to be made. So there's no industry. Now, if I could make you sign up, you know, that would be another thing. Because, you know, if you could make somebody sign up, what if there was a class that you could force somebody to go to and at the other side, the end of the class, they would have character. You'd be signing up your kids. You'd be signing up your husband, your mama, your boss would attend extra classes. All in your dime, you would pay for that. But I can't make you go and you can't make me go. So there's no market for it. But we're still going to do a series on character. We're still going to talk about this. We're still going to develop this, even though this might be kind of a tricky task. Because you and I are slippery. When it comes to character, yes, character is extremely important, especially when I'm talking about you. But when we're talking about me, it's not as important. Here, here's what some of you are thinking, and, and this is, I'm going to call this out right away. We're going to do something funny here in a second. But um, here's, here's what some of you I know are thinking. Some of you are thinking, gosh, I wish so-and-so was here. Like now you're like, you're hearing about what we're going to talk about. You're like, I really wish so-and-so had come. I wish I brought my kids. Or like, like some of you are thinking, oh, I'm really glad my husband's here. And, and I want to do something here. I want to, I want to, you might be tempted to elbow several times this morning. You might be tempted to like lean over and be like, are you paying attention? I want to declare this an elbow-free zone. For the rest, for the duration of the series, this is an elbow-free zone. We are no long, we're not allowed to nudge. We're not allowed to, to, to whisper. We're just eyes forward, elbows tucked in. I want to talk to you. Because here's the reason why. Nobody can take care of your character except you. Nobody can take care of their character except them. It's just kind of how it works. You are responsible for only one character, one person's character in this whole world, and it's yours. And so we're going to focus on ourselves. In fact, in order to ensure that we're going to focus on ourselves, we are going to do something ridiculous, okay? We're going to talk in church. You guys ready for this? I'm not joking right now. I want you to raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand. Yep, even the men. Perfect. Okay? And I want you to repeat after me. This is the knockoff Pledge of Allegiance. We are going to do this every week for the, the knockoff series. You ready? Go ahead, put that up. I do solemnly swear. Go ahead, say that. I do solemnly swear. That during the duration of this series, I will resist the temptation to focus on the faults, the failures, the shortcomings of others, Rather, I choose to remain focused on me, even when the faults of others are as plain as can be. So help me God. At ease. It's good. That was, that was really good. We're, um, seriously, we're going to do this every time because we cannot, this, this series, you might as well have not come to church. You know how much I love church, right? Can we, you know, honestly, I love church. But you might as well not have come to church unless you're going to focus on your character. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to do two more things before we dive into the passage for today. First, I want to define what character is so that we're all on the same page. And then second, I want to talk about why we resist character. So let's start with the de definition. 
Here's, here's the definition. This is what the working definition for knockoff for character for this whole series is. Character is the will to do what is right, no matter what the cost. In fact, just again, we're going to talk in church. Let's, let's say that with me. Character is the will to do what is right, no matter what the cost. True character is the will to do what is right, not just when it feels good, but even when it feels kind of bad or hard, you know, like it'd be difficult to do that. Character is the will to do what is right, no matter what. Here's another way of looking at character, and I think this is really helpful. Char- character, a person of true character, is, is the same through and through. That they're the same out here as they are in there. They're the same, like if, if you were to, they're the same at work as they are at home, as they are at church. If you were to cut their week open, they would be the same on, on Sunday morning at church, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, Friday night with the guys. They would be the same person through and through the way they talk, the way they, if they say they're going to do something, they follow through on it because they're the same through and through. There's no caveats. There's no outs. There's no clauses. Yeah, I was, but now I'm not. A person of true character, this is true character, like pure character, looks like this. Because they are, they have the, they're willing to do what is right no matter what the cost. Now, on the contrary, a person who lacks character, you see this one right here? It's not, see, here's the thing that we need to, to, to th- realize when it comes to character. When you and I lack character, it's not that we're not willing to do some things right. It's not that we do everything wrong, right? Like, like we're willing, there's a lot actually maybe we're willing to do right. And, and we might have areas of our lives that we're just knocking it out of the park, but then there's one area of our lives where it's just kind of falling behind. And see, that's the thing, is, is a person who lacks character, when you cut them open, they'll be solid for, for part of it, but then they'll, you'll find a pocket, a find a place where they're not as solid. And, and see, that this is, this is the, so I want you, this image, we put them kind of all over the church too because we want this image, this idea of characters to be the same through and through. Your yes is a yes no matter what. Your no is a no. You, you see what I'm saying? That's what character is. Now, let me talk briefly about why you and I resist character. See, character tends to get the like the backseat or we bench character when we go to head head to head with a couple different things two different things character is important character is a value to us so like we we value character not just in, in others but in ourselves as well but sometimes we don't value character as much as we value achievement or fulfillment everybody say that achievement or fulfillment those are the two things that that often two things that often compete with our character. In other words, character runs, uh, uh, runs out when, when all of a sudden it's, we have to choose between either being a man or a woman of character or achieving something or fulfilling something. And it's not entirely our fault because we live in a world that truly values achievement. I mean, we, don't we live in a world that progress is important? That, you know, like, it's, it's, it's easy to measure people by their accomplishments. We live in a world that, that, that gives out awards and raises and trophies to probably, like, like you, you, if you do well at work, you'll get paid more. If you do well at school or in sports, you're, you're going to get a trophy. You're gonna get a, uh, um, you'll get some sort of incentive for that. And see, when, <clears throat> when, achieve, when, when achievement comes head-to-head with character, 
And when we choose to make achievement more important than character, what happens is what's right changes. We start to say, okay, okay, I know I want to be a person of character and I want to do what's right, but when achievement becomes the focus, what's right is, is what takes me the furthest. I know this is really philosophical. If you're, if you're kind of zoning out now, that's okay. I'll, I'll come pick you back up in like three minutes. But this is interesting to me. Because achievement, like when we say, I, I have a choice between getting this promotion or staying true to my word, and we choose the promotion, what we're saying is, it's not that, what, we're not saying that's wrong. We're saying what's right is, what's best is what gets me the furthest. And see, this is why when, when, with, when it comes to school, when it comes to, to college or high school, if you're in high school, cheating's kind of normal. And it, you're like cheating is, is easy because it gets you to where, like if school is all about getting good grades, if school is all about getting the degree or passing the class, and cheating will help you do that, that just seems natural for what we should do because I want that achievement. On, on the flip side, have you ever had somebody like steal your idea at work and take it for themselves? And you're like, what the heck? You go home and you vent to your spouse or your roommate and you're like, I can't believe they did this. How in the world could, you know, how in the world could they do this to me? It's really simple. They chose, they didn't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to go hose that person. They got up in the morning wanting to achieve more at work and you gave them an, a, an opportunity to do that and they took it because achievement was more important to them than character. This is why, this, and this is crazy, I heard the other day that, that in, on resumes, or that 70 to 80% of people lie on resumes and interviews. 70 to 80%, well, none of them are here, but like, this is, you know, like, I have to think about this, like, like why, why in the world is there such pressure for us in that moment to just bend the truth? You know, like, to extend the timeline, so like, like, yeah, and technically I was unemployed, but we're not going to talk about that in my resume. Why do we do that? Where, why, why are we drawn to that? Because we value character, but in the end, I need this job. This is important, like, this is a big deal. And, and, and we do all sorts of things, we play all sorts of gymnastics when we say, but you know, like, I know I'm lying a little bit, but I will give it my best if I get this job, Right? And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. And you see, you see what, why character gets the backseat sometimes? Because achievement is really important to us. Fulfillment's kind of the same, too. Fulfillment's a little different, though. It says, basically, fulfillment says, be ha being happy is more important than me staying true to blank. To her, to him, to them, to what I said. To what I promised. Like, yeah, 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 I know I promised that, but I, I, if there's a chance to be temporarily fulfilled or gratified, or if there's pleasure or leisure to be had, or a hobby that I can pursue, I, 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 I could be a man or a woman of character, and I want to be, but I really, if I give them the chance to do this, I'm going to take it. You know, given the chance between character and fulfillment, the answer is treat yourself. Like, 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 be happy. Above all else, make sure you are happy. Chase that. 
If it fulfills you, that's what you should do. On the contrary, what, what we start to think is like, so anything that gets in the way of my happiness must be immoral. That's actually wrong because happiness is right. See, proving, uh, pursuing achievement is doing what is right as long as it takes you to where you want to go. Pursuing fulfillment is doing what is right as long as it makes you happy. But pursuing character says, I'm going to do what's right, no matter what the cost. No matter what, it, may, it might, yes, it might hold back my achievement. Yes, I might not be as satisfied in the, in the, the temporary, in, in the, the moment, but I will do what is right. Let me cut to the chase. Let me tell you why I think this is so important. Maybe, maybe you agree with this. I, I think you will. I think you'll agree with this. I think here's why this is so important. It's hard to be around a person who values achievement or fulfillment over character. Eventually, if you've ever been with somebody who, who it seemed like they were full of character, that they were solid, and you were around them for a while, well, for a while and all of a sudden you started to hit pockets in their character, because they, they chose, instead of character, they chose achievement or fulfillment. It's hard to be around a person like that. Right? Can we all agree, like, we've all been burned by that story, by the fact that they couldn't say no, or they said they would, but it seems like they didn't or couldn't. Again, you might be thinking about certain people, but I want you to think about you. This series is so that we never become that for other people. This series is about building our character because it's hard to be around a person who values achievement or fulfillment over character. I want us to look at a passage quickly that's out of the Old Testament. It's a story of a man whose character ran out. A man who started off, and it seemed to be really solid. Uh, his name was Saul. Some of you might be familiar with this story. It's, he started out solid, but it, it ended up that he wasn't solid, that he, he lacked character, and it cost him a lot. In the end, Saul, I'll tell this little spoiler alert, but in the end, Saul chooses achievement over character. And he doesn't really ever recover from it. It's, it's a sad story. He's a man who, who rose to power under very unique circumstances. Where we're going to pick up our story is this point in time in history, in Israel, the nation of Israel's history, about a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. A thousand years before that, it, there was this nation of Israel, and they came to their, their prophet at the time. His name was, his name was Samuel. Prophet was, uh, Samuel was a, a godly man. They came to him and said, we want a king. And this is an interesting part of the story. Israel had functioned for hundreds and hundreds of years, actually without a, a key leader. They had leaders, but they didn't have a king. And the reason was, was back in the time of Moses, Moses, God and Moses established that God was the king of Israel, that he would be their king. He would fight their battles for them. They don't need a, a, a human earthly king because they had a heavenly king. They had God. And this worked for hundreds of years. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it was like one day that Israel came to, to Samuel and said, 
we want to have a king like all the other kids at school have a king. If you're familiar with this story, it's almost like childish as you read it. They're like, everybody else has kids. They, actually, let's just read it. It says like this. This is uh, 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. All our friends have a phone, mom and dad. I want one. I mean, I'll be able to call you more. Parents, are you familiar with this line of logic? This is what Israel is doing with Samuel, the prophet, who's kind of like a mediator between, between God and them right now. And Samuel's like, no, you don't want this. A king is expensive. If he makes a mistake, you're going to you know, reap the bad benefits, you know, the, the, the punishment of that. Like it's, it's just bad things can happen. They're like, no, we want a king. It's, it's kind of funny. Instead of an Xbox, they wanted a monarchy. So what happens is um, in the next chapter, we get introduced to Saul. And in a series of, of detailed events, God makes it clear to Samuel that Saul is the guy that you are supposed to anoint the king. And initially Saul, again, he, he seems solid. He seems like he's humble. Like he's like, I don't know if I can do that job. And Samuel's like, no, you're going to do this job. And, and, and you know, like kind of what you would want to see out of somebody. Second, uh, 1 Samuel 9.2 uh, describes Saul as this. Saul is an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than all of the others, than any of the others. See, this is where the phrase head and shoulders above the rest comes from. In other words, king, Saul was king-sized. He was this kind of kingly-looking dude, which is good because, after all, like Israel wanted a king, so let's get somebody who looks the part, right? You, you, like, you, you want somebody who, if they're going to a meeting, they're a little intimidating, right? With other countries, like, like someone who can pull, pull his weight and that kind of thing. So Saul fits the bill, and in chapter 10, Samuel anoints him. Now, Saul must have had a look of disbelief on his face. Like, like in, in his defense, this was a new idea. Like, it just happened that, Saul, that, that, that Israel wanted a king. Who knows if Saul even knew about that conversation. And all of a sudden, Samuel anoints Saul. And Saul's like, I, I, what's going on? I don't know if I believe this to be true. So Samuel then proceeds to tell Saul. And again, it's, it's amazing how detailed the Bible is sometimes. He's, he starts to tell Saul all of the things that will happen to him in the next couple of days. So if for no other reason, just to tell him, listen, this is real. So Samuel tells him, he's like, you need to go now. Your dad's worried. You know, like he's been looking for you. Again, you don't need to know all these details, but I wanted to share some of them with you. When, when you get to over here, three guys will come down with three loaves of bread. They'll give you two loaves of those bread. And then, you, you know, like you'll hang out with them. And then you'll get to this town and a bunch of musical prophets will come down and they'll sing songs. And this will be new to you, Saul, but you're going to prophesy with them. You're going to, you know, start in with whatever they're doing. And you've never done that before, but you're going to do that. And then three little pigs are going to come, and one's going to build a house of brick. And one I was, oh, good, you're paying attention. I'm just making sure, I didn't lose you there. And so, and, and so Samuel says all of this, and then in the next couple of days, all of this happens, so that Saul can know you're going to be the king. But before Saul leaves, Samuel says these very important words. He says this: Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, because God is with you. Isn't that a great phrase? I, I would love to live with that confidence of like, I can do whatever, whatever my hand finds to do, I can do because God is with me. 
Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But, and this is a really, ends up being a really big but for Saul, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you're to do next. You guys catch this? You just, need to, you just need to catch this. It'll become important in a couple minutes. Basically, he says, God is with you. Go have fun being king. Meet me in Gilgal, this, this, this town, in seven days. Wait for me there until I arrive, and then I'll tell you what to do next. So Saul does some good things in the next couple weeks. He actually comes there uh, during that next week. There's a, 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 an Israel city that gets attacked, that's on the edge of the, the country, and gets attacked and taken over by, I think the Amorites come and take them over. And Saul responds to it. As the king, he, he stands up, he gathers and musters up an army of 300,000 men. Not bad for your first army. Like, like it's pretty impressive. He shows up, kicks butt, saves you know, the Israelites. Everybody's like, yeah, Saul, you're awesome. And, and in the meanwhile, here's another thing that, that shows us that he had, he had some character. Right before that, some people had said, who is this guy? Who is this Saul? He can't be the king. There were some haters. And at the end of the, the war, at the end of, of this, this, this little, not a war, but this little battle, they, they, some people say, hey, where are those haters? Bring them over here. Let's kill them. And Saul's like, no, 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 no. And Saul says this. This is a day of mercy. He says, this is a day that God has given us the victory. So you know, not only does he do this, he leads well, he extends mercy, he gives God all the credit. Solid, right? Then we get to here. This is 1 Samuel 13. Oh, here, before we read. Then he gets to Gilgal on the seventh day. So it's been a week now where he's supposed to, and he comes to where he's supposed to meet Samuel. And, it, and the Bible tells us that, that, that um, Saul had 3,000 men with him. And then all of a sudden, the Philistines show up with 6,000 men right across the valley. Not only six, so the twi- there's 3,000 over here Israelites, 6,000 over here Philistines, and the Philistines have chariots, which is like modern-day tanks. This is kind of the equivalent. Like imagine going, being a f- foot army, or whatever you call it, and there's tanks over there. And Israel starts freaking out. The army starts to, to like bleed. It starts to just leave. Let's pick up here. This is 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 6. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him, quaking uh, with him, were quaking with fear. He waited seven days to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. See, all of a sudden, the pressure's on. All of a sudden, Saul needs to make a decision. Do I keep it my word to Samuel? Or do I just do what I think I need to do? And before we, we're going to look at what he does and we're going to you know, evaluate his decision here in a minute. But I want us to, before we move on, I want to make sure we don't just throw Saul under the bus here. This is, this is a dire circumstance. Can you imagine? You're, you're being, men, imagine being in war. And you, have, you, know, you show up and you're doubled. You're, you're outnumbered twice. And they have tanks. And not only that, because of that, men start to leave. 
In a minute, we find out actually the army ended up being you know, whittled down from 3,000 to 600. So now it's 600 to 6,000. That's 10 times the size. What would you do? In a time of crisis, has your character ever buckled? I know my character is buckled under something much, pressure much less than that. So I just wanted to like establish that before we throw stones and sticks at Saul, we're going to pick apart what he does. But I want us to feel the weight of the situation. It's not a good one. And you and I, people, people of, of you know, this much character, this much, we might buckle as well. But here's, let's, let's, let's look at what he does. Just a heads up, what happens next doesn't have much meaning to us in our culture, but it had all sorts of meaning in their culture. I'll explain here in a second, but let's look. Verse 9. So he, that being Saul, said, Bring me the burnt offering, offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he had finished making the offering, of course, guess who shows up? Samuel arrives. And Saul went out to greet him. Hey! And Samuel says this, What have you done? Now, again, you, we might be like, what's the big deal? I, like, like, I don't get it. See, the pressure's on in an attempt to shore up his dwindling army. Saul takes matters into his own hands. He grabs an, some animals. He sacrifices them, which is his way of saying, Lord, please bless this mess. All, who's prayed that prayer before? Like, like, you just, you know, like, Hail Mary, full of grace. Here we go. Lord, please bless this situation. That's what Saul's doing here. There's nobody to do the sacrifice. So he's like, I'm going to do it. And then Sam shows up. The reason that Samuel had such a big problem, he's like, what have you done? Is because sacrifice is not under Saul's job description. By doing the sacrifice, Saul got in way above his pay grade. Let me explain. This is maybe the best way that I can explain it. Pause for a second. We'll leave Israel over here. Imagine, imagine now modern day, a company that has three C-level employees, a CEO, a COO, and a CFO. You know, three key leadership positions. Let's say, for instance, that the, the CEO, they get a new CEO, and when the new CEO comes in, the CFO quits and says, I'm out of here. And the CEO says, that's okay, I'll take his responsibilities until we find a new one. And the board's like, good, that'd be great, you know, uh, in the meanwhile, you can do two out of those three positions. And then as the, a, a, a week later, the COO shows up late for a meeting, and the CEO says, you're fired. And I'm going to take your job. So now, in, in one week, somebody goes from you know, having no positions to one, two, three, all three of the positions in this company. How would the board respond to, to that consolidation of power in one man in one week? Not well, right? Okay, so that, that's as close as I feel like I can get it in a modern sense. Let's go back to Israel. Israel had three major offices, king, prophet, and priest. Now, eight days ago, Saul was none of these, right? He was just Saul. And then all of a sudden, Samuel shows up on the scene, and he's like, you know, he's like, you're going to be king. 
And Saul's like, I don't even know what that means, but okay. A couple days later, Samuel's like, in a couple days, the prophets are going to come down and you're going to prophesy with them. So you're also going to be a prophet. By taking the sacrifice, you know, seven days after he became king, by taking the sacrifice and sacrificing it himself, he put himself into the position of priest as well. So now he's occupying all three of the major offices in this nation of Israel. Something that no one had done before. Okay, and catch this, something that only one person would ever do again. And I'll give you a hint, his name rhymes with Jebus. Like, what, Paul, what Saul was saying here is, Israel, I'm all that you need. Israel, Israel, I, I got it all, baby. I am prophet, I am priest, and I am king. You, you, all you need is me. Another way to say in, in, in Israelite or Jewish terms is, I am your Messiah. <laughs> and Samuel says, what? have you done? You are way above your pay grade right now. See, what seems maybe not as that big of a deal to us, it's a sacrifice, Samuel, chill out, was a really big political statement to everybody around Saul. I am all that you need. You see what's happening here? Paul, Saul starts out as solid. He makes some good decisions. And then when the pressure's on, whether it be from fear or impatience or pride, he chooses, his, his character runs out. And he chooses achievement over character. The idea of being all three of these positions was appealing to him, and he gives in. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. His character ran out there, and it seems to run out for good. Here's what happens. Pay attention what Saul's, this is Saul's response. Pay attention to who he blames. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, you know, Samuel asked, what did I do? When I saw that the men were scattering those cowards and that you did not show up at the set time, you slacker, and the Philistines, you know, the Philistines, I mean, look at them. You, you, can I remind you, there's 6,000 of them over there, Samuel, with tanks. I think they may even had a Jedi class, you know, like, like, <laughs> Samuel, they were at Mich assembling at Michmash, and I thought to myself, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, Samuel. You know how God gets when we don't include him in things. He just, you know, I thought I was doing so, so, and then he finally gets to himself. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. He starts pointing. Well, you didn't come, and the men, Philistines, and God. If you want to know someone's true character, pay attention to what happens when they get caught. Do you agree with this? Like, I, I thought of this this week. I was like, if you really want to know someone's true character, pay attention to how they react when they're caught. Which this is, that's a little counterintuitive to us, right? Because it's like, no, if they were of true character, if they were the same through and through, they wouldn't do anything wrong, therefore they wouldn't get caught, right? We're going to talk about that next week. You don't want to miss next week 
Because we're going to talk about David next week. And he gets caught. We're going to watch. I'm giving away a little bit of next week. But we're going to look at what he does. But right now, let's look at Saul. Saul, he says, you know, uh, Saul points the finger. And, and, and that tells you something about him. It tells us something about his character. And here's what's really sad about Saul's story. Saul never relents. He never repents. He never owns up to what he did this day. Not only on this day, but he, he does this for the rest of his life. And it eats him alive. If you know Saul's story, it's sad because he's 30 years old at this time. He's been a, he's been a king for a week. And he cont- you know, even though he made a mistake here, he didn't own up to it. And he made another one after that and another one after that. And for 42 years, he was king. And it was miserable. Because that's what happened. Like, when, when lack of character, when the pressures cave in, when the pressures come and then push on us, sometimes we cave in. A couple of chapters later, God comes to Samuel and says, hey Samuel, I know you're sad about Saul, so am I, but I need you to get over it because I've chosen another one, another king, uh, the, another man who's going to be my king. So um, I need you to go anoint them. So, so Samuel gets up, he finds this guy named Jesse in the town of Bethlehem, and he says, hey, can I come over to your house? And he says, sure. And then, this is great, this is 1 Samuel 16. So this is Samuel, he's going into Jesse's house where he's presuming to anoint a king. And it says this, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And God says, No, this isn't the guy, and don't call me Shirley. (laughs) Airplane. He, like, like Samuel sees Eliab and he, and he sees something about him. Like, again, like we don't know what Eliab looked like, but there was something about him that looked like a king. And God's saying, no, 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 no. That, that, that's not him. Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. God says this in, in um, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is, this is the key. This is where I want us to land today. Do not consider his appearance. Or his height. <laughs> oh, he's tall, so he must be good. <laughs> Remember Saul? You know, like, it, for I've rejected him. I, the, Eliab's not my guy. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. People look here. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, Samuel. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, while it might take months or even years for you and I to learn someone's true character, God doesn't have that problem. He's able to look right at us and see us for who we are. And if that's scary to you, it need not be. Because he loves you still. Well, I get it. We're going to talk about, I can't give away next week's sermon, but God looks at the heart. He doesn't judge books by the covers. He judges them by the pages inside. That's what he looks at. That's what's important to him. And, and here's why 
here's why God looks at the, at the heart. And some of you came here today just to hear this, what I'm about to say. The reason God, the, God looks at our heart and he wants to see character. Do you, do you know why he desires to see character in us? It's not because he wants something from us. It's because he wants something for us. And you know what I mean? Like he looks at our heart and he, he, he longs for us to be people of character, not because it's like, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm so sick of you guys messing up. And if you were just keep, you know, the straight and narrow, I wouldn't have to worry about it. It's not that at all. It's not that he wants good behavior from us. He wants a good life for us. He doesn't want us to live in the pain and the turmoil that Saul lived in for decades because of a lack of character. Listen, listen, listen. If you're struggling right now, if your life is difficult because of decisions you made, decisions that maybe even cause you to say, what the heck, God? You have to recognize that God's desire for you to be a person of character is not trying to get something from you. He wants you to step into a life of character because what's there for you when we live that way? He made us for it. He made this world and he said, oh, it is good. Now you go enjoy it. You go and revel in the goodness as well. God doesn't want something for, from you. He wants something for you. And so do we. Our, our goal as a church, and you might not believe what we believe. You might not be in the same page. You know, like the whole idea of Jesus and that, that kind of, it's fine. Please come join us for the rest of this series. Come join us as we walk and talk about what it means to step into a life of character. It's going to be good. It's going to be hard at times, but heaven forbid we do anything hard, Right? It's going to be good, and we'll do it together. I need it just as much as you do. I was humbled this week as I was thinking about teaching on character. Didn't love it. But come with us as we explore what God has for us in the life of character, the will to do what is right no matter what the cost. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to end this way. Now, there might not, since there might not be a class on character, there is prayer, and prayer is good for character. There's one prayer in particular that I want you to, to memorize. We're going to say it again together. It goes like this. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. There's the two things you need to remember this week. Wisdom and courage. Everybody look at me and say, Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and give me the courage to do what is right. One more time. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do it. It's a good prayer. It's a prayer that means a lot to me. And I find myself praying for myself, for my kids, for you guys. We pray for you all the time. We pray prayers like this. Let's pray right now. Lord, 
Give us the wisdom to know what to do. All, all of us, Lord, we're, we're, some of us are, are we're, all di- we're all thinking about different things right now. I pray that you would help us sort that out and give us the wisdom to know what to do. And then, Lord, give us the courage to actually do it. Some of us need to fess up and stop living a lie. Some of us need to, to, to reevaluate how we treat someone in our life. Some of us need to apologize. And that's hard. Lord, give us the wisdom to know how to do that and then give us the courage to do that so that we can become people of character. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your goodness. Thanks for how blue the sky was this morning when I woke up. We love you. Amen.